0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. I want to start with a question this morning, and the question is this <clears throat> Are you open? Uh, simple, it's three words. Are you open? Um, many of you know I have three daughters, and uh, they are uh, a trip. <laughs> um, Lyndon, our youngest, <clears throat> is four. And uh, she's known for some of the greatest one-liners of, on the planet. Uh, we have a, 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 non, like a running list on our phones of all these great things that she says, because you never know when it's going to happen, too. She'll say something. It's like, get the phone. Write it down, right? Because we don't want to forget these things. Um, she, uh, <clears throat> so we're in the car the other day. And she has one of these moments, one of these musings. And she, she you know, you never, I don't know, parents, if, if, you, uh, if you experience this, you remember this. You get kids in the car and sometimes they just start talking and they, they say things that they would never say anywhere else, you know, like uh, at the dinner table or at school or whatever. And they just start, you know, it's sort of you know, like stream of consciousness kind of stuff. So Lyndon just starts in and she says, Dad, I saw this movie at school the other day. God had a thorny crown on his head, and he was bleeding, and he was on a cross with his two friends. <laughs> of course they were, right? And I said, "I said, well, who put God on the cross? And she says, the mean people put him on the cross. Again, spot on, well done. And I said, well, what happened to God? He had a thorn of crowns on his head, and he was bleeding, and then he died, And she's looking at me in the mirror, you know, like pause of dramatic silence. But Jesus had a plan. And I said, really? Uh, What was Jesus' plan? Jesus raised God from the dead. (laughs) I said, no kidding. Dad, I am not kidding. That's what happened. At point I thought to myself, "Okay, pastor's kids got some major characters in the story. You know, switch. Like we've got some work to do, or uh, just the openness of a four-year-old. You know, letting it rip." And I thought to myself, "What would it? What would I give to be there? Uh, <laughs> to be that open? To have that few cares in the world?" But I want to begin today by just asking that simple question: "Of are you open?" Uh, and it's a question for all of us, whether you follow Jesus or whether you, you have yet to trust Christ. Uh, for all of us, are you open? Are you open to what God might have for you? Are you open to the people and the relationships and the networks of friends and family that are around you? Are you open to the world that we live in and your part in it? Are you open? Just a simple question. Because I think, if we're honest, I think um, when we start to think about Easter and we think about exactly what it is we're talking about here, It's uh, it's a very interesting thing, and many of us come to a gathering like this on Easter Sunday, and it's uh, all of the thoughts of of hope and of joy and of triumph and of beauty and of God putting the world back together like are right there. But then I recognize that that's probably not true for everybody who comes to something such as this, but there may in fact be feelings of anxiety or fear or like, what have I gotten myself into, or I do this to make somebody else happy or so I don't feel guilty. Um, So I want to shoot straight with you, just right off the bat. And I want to say that my commitment to you this morning is I want to offer something of the Scripture, something from the Scriptures. We believe that this book is more than a book, that it's more than words on a page, but that somehow God has and is revealing God's self to us if we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And so I want to offer something of the Scriptures to you. I want to offer... honesty about my own perspective and my own experiences uh just the other day i was driving to our little tuesday morning worship planning meeting pastor of Awakened covenant church and i'm meeting with our other pastors and i'm driving and i stop at a stoplight and the, the thought just like floods me and i can't shake it like what if this isn't true what if what if this whole bit resurrection easter the cross jesus what what if it didn't happen then what but I'm probably the only one that's ever thought that. So. And that's honesty, right? That's doubt. That's questions. And we all have them. And so I want to I wanna offer my own honest perspective and my own honest um, reflections on this. And I, and I promise, lastly, I promise, not to use guilt or manipulation. I think some of us have had experiences, and unfortunately, often in the church, where especially on days like today, the expectations are so high, and it's like you know we do everything to kind of create this stream and this this moment, you know, this like spot where we get people to where the emotions are big and every and like you can't help but. And I want to offer my heart and uh, what I think about this Jesus, and um, I want to do it without. Manipulating or making people feel guilty, and offer it as a gift to you. So, in exchange, I would, I would ask that you would take that one question of, "Are you open?" and consider it. Does that sound good? All right, let's get into this. Um, a guy like me, I teach the Bible every single Sunday, and usually have a different text that I get to study, or get to read, or get to to, to teach from. Um, but Easter and Christmas, of course the story's always the same, and it never changes, it's the same text, and so the challenge is to think about this story, and this idea of Jesus, and life, and death, and resurrection, in a way that's compelling, and thoughtful, and hopefully where you leave thinking, hmm, I hadn't thought of it that way, or that's an interesting way to look at it, and so that's what I'm hoping for today, and I want to do. I want to attempt to do that by offering three lenses through which to view or see or think about the resurrection and the story of Jesus, and they would be signs, seeds, and patterns. So signs, um, open your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 2, if you would, and as you do, I will let you in on a little secret. The biblical authors, and often the, the gospel writers, will, will often take a story or a sign or a symbol, and they'll use it to connect to whatever they're writing about. And John is no different. In the second chapter of John's gospel, he does that. In verse 7, he says this. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Wouldn't that have been a sweet party to be at? (laughs) Maybe not. Okay. (laughs) Uh, He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did, or did, verse 11, here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. So in John's Gospel, he sets this thing up as he's telling the story of Jesus. And he gives us a very, very large clue in verse 11 here. This is the first sign that Jesus performs or the first miracle, the first sign on the way to what I'm about to tell you about Jesus. Now, if you had to guess how many signs John gives us leading up to the, re- the, the crucifixion of Jesus and you thought about important numbers in biblical you know, Hebrew uh, culture, any guesses as to how many signs there are? 40 is a good guess. It's not 144,000, in case you're wondering. 40 is a good guess. Go lower. A little lower. Seven, right? the number of perfection in Hebrew thought. John gives seven signs that Jesus performs on his way from the beginning of his gospel right up to his to his crucifixion. And he begins by this first one. He tells you this is the first sign. Then he tells you this is the second sign. This is the third sign. And then by that time, he's hoping that you've figured it out and that he's doing something here. And he actually stops numbering them. But turn to chapter 11, if you would, of John's gospel. And this is the last Sign. So the first sign is Jesus turns water into something else. Okay? First sign. Last sign, John chapter eleven, verse thirty eight says this. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. So John's first sign, Jesus turns water into something else. John's last sign, right before Jesus' crucifixion, because cha- in chapter 11, the, the authorities start planning for his death, is that Jesus raises somebody from the dead. Think back to the Old Testament, and are there any stories in which the first sign of something was, had to do with water being turned into something else, and the last sign had to do with something about death and resurrection? Exodus the plagues in Exodus. There are ten of them, the first of which, the water in the Nile turns to blood, the last of which, all of the firstborn sons of Egypt die, but the firstborn sons of Israel live. What is John doing? He is absolutely connecting Jesus, and this, this John does this, Mark does this, Matthew, Luke, they all do this, but they connect Jesus to this other story that's already playing in the minds of the people that would have first heard this, right? This is first century Judaism, and the, the, the primary, the, the defining story of the Israelite people is the Exodus. So I want to submit the possibility that what John is doing in this text is offering Jesus and these signs as what is about to happen in Jesus is similar to but different than what has happened in Moses. And what was Moses for the Israelite people? Think back. Moses was the rescuer. Moses was the redeemer. Moses was the one who brought them out of exile, out of slavery, out from underneath the thumb of the Egyptians and into this new land, this new life, this new humanity. And I guess maybe a question that might fit here would be, I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who needs restoration, who needs renewal, who needs redemption, who needs a new exodus to be set free from something. Because this is what John is saying about Jesus, that he's the one who does this signs and seeds, the whole of the scriptures, and I don't really recommend that you do this often, but if you were going to, if you're going to take the whole of the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation, and you were going to boil it down to like one thought or one theme, I think when we do this, we often miss things that are really important and so the whole, you know, like reduce it down to its lowest common denominator is not always helpful, but if you were going to, I would submit that the story of God, the story of the Bible, is God's interaction with humanity and God's attempt or efforts to redeem, restore, bring back, or heal that which has gone wrong in the human heart. If you think at you know, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat the the tree the, or the fruit from the knowledge of, the, uh, of good and evil, and in doing so, enter or introduce into the equation something that is foreign to the landscape of God's good creation, that being sin, that being death, that being the ability to judge between good and evil. And as they do, they introduce this new possibility. Now, if you read the scriptures, you find God, and I would argue you never find God dictating or making ultimatums to the humans that he's interacting with, but rather what you find is God planting seeds. Um, turn to Genesis chapter 12, if you would. Back in the beginning of the story. This is uh, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. God comes to Abraham, and he says, Leave your father, your mother, your kin, your, your land, and go to a land I will show you. And then in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What we see in this is an invitation to Israel to be in relationship with God, to trust Yahweh, to be in covenant with Yahweh, and to live into, or to um, maybe be the ground in which the seed of God grows into that which it was intended to grow. Israel was supposed to be a blessing for the world. Israel was supposed to be the, thing that, the, 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 the means by which God brought humanity back into fellowship with God's self. And we find at the end of the Old Testament, if you know, the Israelites find themselves in exile again. And so this invitation, this seed that's planted, doesn't get the proper water, elements, sun, whatever the metaphor might cause, call for. But not because of a lack of God's effort. Not because of a lack of God's effort and, and on God's part. And we find another seed planted. If you turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, this is the story of Mary. Mary... The wife of Joseph, chapter 1, verse 30, says this, But the angel said to her, do, you, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary, like oh, we all would, right? How will this be? For I am a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so in Mary, we see again, God not giving ultimatums, not giving dictations, not forcing, not coercing, but planting the very seed of new life in Mary. parents in the room. Do you remember the moment when you saw your first child on the the screen of the ultrasound? Do you remember that moment? Right? You know, you're in the room, the jelly, you know, the... The deal, you got the lady and the screen and the paddle and then it's just this, you know, blob of jelly, and then they start doing this thing, and then all of a sudden on the screen appears little arms and little legs, and then you hear the right, which you think like has a train entered the room and the nurse says, Don't don't be alarmed, it's it's their heart beating. And this was Mary's experience, right? I mean maybe not the jelly and the ultrasound bit, but uh, the most Normal experience a human female can have on planet Earth to give birth to a baby. And yet, simultaneously, in the same moment, is the seed and the action, the working out of God, implanted in this situation, in this story of Mary. And if you look at chapter 23 of Luke, arguably, the seed of God's activity is planted once again. Verse 50 says, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and he took it down. He wrapped it in linen cloth, placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. And so Jesus lives his life, is crucified, and is buried is planted in the earth, in the dark, in the stillness, and yet something begins to grow. Paul in the New Testament speaks of Jesus as the first fruit of new creation. That in Jesus, God is doing something new. He talks about him as new humanity. That if we all die in Adam and we live life a particular way in Adam that leads unto death, that in Jesus there is something new that offers life. Now here's the thing. Seeds... They just do what they do. If you plant a seed, what does it do? Grows. That's what seeds do. They just grow. So I guess the question I would ask you this morning is what seeds have been planted in your life? Are they things that are bearing fruit? Are they things that are growing? Because seeds like hope and forgiveness can be planted in our hearts and they grow and they bear fruit, but certainly seeds of despair and bitterness can also be planted. And so maybe this Easter, a conversation to have with oneself is, what are the seeds that are, that are growing in me? And do they give life? Because the gospel is always about life. It's always about life-giving action. Signs, seeds, and patterns. Now, okay, friends. Um, Put on your like thinking caps here for just a moment, if you would, uh, and I, and I, I want to offer a, a bit, maybe a, a little scientific perspective here. Science and the advances of our world uh, remind us that there are patterns in the way that the world works. Have you ever heard of a fractal? Has anybody ever heard of a fractal before? This is one of the most famous fractals. This is called the Mendelbrot set. The idea of a fractal is essentially this: that it's a it's a repeating pattern or it's a similar pattern. And so, if you zoom out. You get the same pattern. And if you zoom in infinitely, you can zoom in infinitely and you get the same pattern over and over and over and over again. This is what a fractal is. These are actually present everywhere in creation. I don't know if you knew this or not. Here's one example. This is broccoli. (laughs) It's a certain kind of broccoli. And no matter how much you zoom in on it, The same pattern repeats itself over and over and over again or how far you zoom out it's still the same pattern again and again and again and again it's a fractal it's just the way that it works it's a pattern here's another example this is this would be a fun one this is what happens when you put high voltage electricity in plexiglass which we'll be doing next Sunday at Awaken (laughs) it's gonna be awesome but no matter how far you zoom in you get the same pattern This branch, and then it breaks off, and it branches, and then it breaks off, and it branches, and it breaks off. Infinitely, you can zoom in on this thing, and you get the same pattern over and over and over again. Here's one more. You might have seen this one before. This is a snowflake. Come on, Minnesota, what are you talking about now? No matter how far you zoom in on a snowflake, it's the same pattern. It repeats over and over and over again. Now, why in the world would I tell you all this? Here's why. Life emerging from death is a pattern that we see again and again and again and again and again in creation. Life emerging from death, from a molecular level to a cosmological level, from a neurological level in our brains to relational things that happen. Here's a couple of examples. Neurologists, uh, these guys, cognitive scientists, they study how we gain the capacity for language and uh, as humans, and, and the capacity for language is directly connected to a human being becoming a self, okay? So a little baby's born. If they don't learn language and the ability to communicate, they actually don't become fully human, they 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 act more like an animal would, and if you've ever heard of feral children, this is very real. So the ability to communicate and language itself, and the ability to learn that, is how we become fully functioning, self-actualized human beings. So that I can have an I'm an I, and I can have a relationship with a you. Communication is the key to this. Okay. So these cognitive scientists they study this, and they, there's kind of two schools of thought on this. Either like the wiring in our brain is innately there and it's nature, and it's innate. Like we don't have to learn anything, but the wiring in our brain is is present in order for us to learn how to communicate. The other side of the argument is that it's something that we learn, that it's not actually present, but the way that our brains are formed as we grow up and become, you know, from little babies to, to larger humans, that these pathways actually form in our brains. But there's two scientists doing research right now, and it gets really interesting here, because here's what they're finding. They essentially say that we are born with more neurological connections and capacity than we need. And so life, right the ability to become a person and become alive and functioning as a human, life depends on or emerges from death in our neurological pathways in our brain, that we have way more capacity, way more neurological paths than we need. And in order for us to actually become human, These things need to die in our brains in order for us to learn how to speak and communicate. Life emerges from death. On a relational level, how many of you have had somebody die in your family and then a baby is born? Anybody ever have that experience in their families before? I was talking to my mom last night. My grandma died four years ago. And right very near that time, uh, Grandma Abbott died and Lyndon was born. We happened, kind of unbeknownst to us, we named her Lyndon Johanna, which happens to be the name of my my grandma's mother. Johanna Anderson, if we were to go around the room, I bet you we could find all kinds of ways in which life emerges from death, even in our relational networks. Now, here's one that's totally trippy, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at this. Um, if if uh, When you gather a group of people like this in a church and Christians, um, you get sort of mini camps. Uh, some who would argue that the, the, the world is created in seven days, the Bible says it, that's in Genesis, and then some who are like, well, the find- findings of science are offering maybe a different possibility. So for those of you who are on this side, I would say just stick with me and entertain the idea. For those of you who are over here who really enjoy science, this one is a mind blower, I'm quoting a friend of mine here. He says this, every molecule of iron in our body was once formed by a process of thermonuclear fusion at the center of a star. Stick with me. And the iron that is indispensable to our blood is only available to us because a few million years ago, a star somewhere in the universe exploded its guts out and sent its elements into the atmosphere. Here's, what, here's, here's why this is so interesting. Heavy elements like iron, science will tell us they are only found in the center of stars. They're not fi- Iron as an element is not found anywhere else in the universe. So in order for iron, which is critical to human beings and our blood to be present in us, no iron, no blood, no life, no exploding and dying stars, no life. Fascinating. Even on a cosmological level life emerges from death I say all that to say resurrection the idea of life emerging from death is not I mean we come here and and we like stop let's think about this okay a guy 2,000 years ago named Jesus he's born of a virgin that one's hard to swallow Um, he does all these miracles he heals these people then he lives this life he crucified and then he's risen from the dead and we're all like yeah of course yeah duh Come on. Do you realize how bonkers that sounds? I mean, to people who don't do the Christian thing or who didn't grow up with the story, it's like, that is really quite astounding and frankly, quite unbelievable. Or is it? The signs in the story of God all point to a seed that is buried in a tomb named Jesus and out of death emerges life. Is it that hard to believe? That's the way the universe works. Life always emerges from death, and so is it any wonder that if God is going to recreate and redeem and restore and remake and rebuild the world that we live in, that he would do it with life emerging from death. Come on now! Come on now. <laughs> now there's a very good reason. There's a very good reason we began with Mark's gospel. Because I think for some of us, it is, it's a leap. Seriously. Like, that this guy lived and died and then, like, literally, actually, metaphysically was risen from the dead. It's a leap. I get it. And I started with Mark's gospel because Mark's gospel, for me, is just real gritty life. Yeah. Can you imagine what it would have been like had you gone to the tomb and the guy that you had seen hanging on the cross is now not there, and then an angel appears and tells you, go tell all your friends. Like Seriously? If I told you, hey, Mike, he died, but he just got resurrected. Go tell all your friends at work. <laughs> they think you're crazy. And so Mary's response is one of, like, uh, I'm not sure about that. What, what do you do with that? There is constantly this exchange between death and life. It's the currency of the universe. And doubt and faith serve one another in this way. I would submit that doubt creates the necessary tension required for faith. Doubt is not the enemy. Questions are not the enemy. It's required for faith. Because without it, faith digresses to the recognition and the naming of that which already is. Without it, faith digresses to the recognition and the naming of that which already is. It's merely the reporting of facts at that point. And that does not produce hope. And hope is something the human spirit cannot live without. Doubt does not scare us at Awaken. Questions do not scare us at Awaken. Because I believe and we believe that if you are after truth, if you're searching for that which is true about God and about the world and about humanity, and all that is true is also all that is God, then where will you go? If you're searching for truth, and if tr- all that is true is also all that is God, where will you go? Even if you're not looking for it, it will find you. And so I would say to you this morning. At that point, you'd be confronted with the question that the disciples were asked of Je- by Jesus after he calms the storm, where he says, do you still not have faith? Friends, this is an interesting deal, this Easter and this God question. And I guess I would leave you with an invitation, because for me, the gospel is always about invitation. It's always about God inviting. And so the invitation is to faith. It's to trusting Christ that this is in fact the way that the world works, that life emerges from death, and that the seed of God's activity in the world is planted in Jesus and then in the ground and emerges offering new life and hope. We can try to figure this out on our own. Many of us have and many of us are. And arguably, it leads to nowhere. It leads to nothing. It leads to death. But what Jesus is offering is something very different. That the God of the universe has acted and done something in us and on our behalf and for us in Easter. And as Jesus comes out of the tomb, offers an invitation to you of life and of hope and of forgiveness. And so that's what we leave you with today. I'm going to ask Ben to come and... uh, We're going to close with one song uh, and it's really an invitation um, for those of you for whom Easter is a a day where it's hope-filled and beauty and triumph to sing it out with all of your heart. If you believe it, go for it. And if you're not sure, an invitation to consider the possibility that this is exactly how the world works, that out of death life emerges and this is how God has moved and worked and offers himself to you today. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.